Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. And you ask yourself the question, how can I get better? Have you ever asked yourself that? You look at yourself and you take stock of your situation and you say, I don't like where I am right now and there's a time for mourning. But I don't want to stay here. Because here is a place of brokenness in my life. And I want to move from here to healing. So how do I do that? Well, Jesus once told the story and a story. He never mentions the word healing in the story, but it really is an outline of a process, we can, how we can move from here to experience emotional healing in our life. This we talked about physical healing the first week. Last week we began talking about emotional healing. We're going to finish with emotional healing this week. And we looked at the story, and I want to look at it again. I just want to remind you that I'm leaning heavily on Dr. Henry McLeod, who, who knows this stuff so well, and I'm indebted to his materials I share today from the Word and from how he, uh, from this story found in Luke chapter 13. And this is what Jesus said. He said, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up ground? And he answered them, sir, let, let it alone for this year, also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if, I, if it should bear fruit next year, well, it'll be well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So last week, remember, we began this, this looking at this scripture and uh, the, the, the journey to emotional healing, how the story begins with an expectation. Because the owner of this vineyard comes to this fig tree expecting to find fruit, but he never finds any fruit. And for three years, he's come expecting. And for three years, he's been disappointed. And all of us live with some sort of expectations in our life. There are certain things we, we come to hope for and expect. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having expectations in our life. The owner of this vineyard has every right to expect figs from a fig tree. And we have certain expectations regarding relationships in our life, health in our life, careers in our life, many things. But when the expectations are not met, the second part of the story we talked about last week is what happens next is there's judgment. Judgment is passed. And the owner of the fig tree sees no fruit where there should be fruit. He passes judgment on the tree. He says it's useless. It's taking up space. So this is what we're going to do. We are going to deem it a failure and cut it down. And you'll do that in your own life. When you fail to meet the expectations you have for you, You pass judgment upon yourself, and you do it this way. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'll never amount to anything. But here's the problem with this. We don't tend to get better under judgment. 
we get angry under judgment. We become depressed. We will get frustrated, discouraged. What we don't tend to get is better. In his frustration, the owner of this vineyard passes judgment on the fruitless tree, saying, cut it down. But the gardener responds, we saw last week how he says, hold on, let me first do three things before we cut this tree down. And last Sunday, we spoke about the first of these directions. The gardener looked at the tree and said, let's dig around the tree. And this really is a fact-finding mission to discover the truth as why the, why the tree is the way that it is. And we need to discover in our own lives what is behind the wounds and the hurts that I'm feeling. Because I want to experience joy, but I find myself experiencing depression. I want to experience peace in my life, yet I have distress. I want to be loving, and yet I seem to keep showing animosity. I want to demonstrate patience, but I'm agitated, it seems, so many times. I want exemplifying kindness, yet I lash out with hostility. And I picked these areas, love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, because you'll recognize them. They are the first five fruits the Bible says we will exemplify when the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Bible says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. So this is what, you know, this should, should what we expect. Love, joy, patience, kindness. When that's not showing up, we got to dig around, figure out, okay, what's going on here? What's happening? And discover why. Do you remember that video we played last week? I can't get it out of my mind. Um, we opened up with last week's service. It was a, a husband frustrated. Remember, he's clearly showing his frustration. He lashes out his wife, complaining about his neighbor's lawn. He wishes he had a lawnmower like his neighbor, yet they don't cut their lawn. He lashes out about what clothes left on the table or all these little things. And, and his wife is sitting quietly on the couch. Remember that? She doesn't escalate with his anger and his frustration. She remains calm. And when her husband's finished his rant, she looks at him very gently and simply says, ask this question. Do you remember what it was? Who hurt you? Who hurt you? Not, not, not judging and, and with just saying, what's happened? She's digging around the anger, looking to its roots and asking, who did this? Why? The truth is, when, when, because we've been hurt by other people, we tend to hurt other people, respond in hurtful ways. And Stu, I got your email this week. It reminded me of that truth. Uh, it's so true. In fact, I dreamt about preaching this sermon. I preached, I, I preached, uh, was it the other night I preached about, I was preaching outside in a parking lot. I don't know why, the people in their cars. I was talking about this, how hurting people hurt people. We know that. We hear that. And someone said from a, from a van, I said, well, let's form a committee for that and discover why and, and you know, and stop that. <laughs> and that's how we do in churches, right? Let's form a committee. We don't like this. Let's form a committee. And I said, that's great. And I understand that's, you, I sense you can understand the frustration with, with people who are hurting people, but it's got to come within that person. We can't mandate that. We can't have a committee informed against that. You may know what it's like to be betrayed. I do. You may know what it's like for someone to abuse you. 
You may know what it's like to, to be neglected by someone who is supposed to take care of you. And what happens is that we allow our hurt to remain because we don't forgive. We hate hearing that, but we don't forgive the one who wounded us. And we don't forgive because we don't want to let them off the hook because we want them to pay. I've struggled with that. I can tell I've struggled with that. I want the person or people who wronged me to acknowledge their wrongful actions. I want them to come forward and say to everyone involved, sorry I did that, I was wrong, my offense caused so much trouble, I regret it, it's caused so much damage. That would make forgiving easier. But people don't do that, do you notice? And who pays? Me. You. Because bitterness grows, we become angry, and the hurt begins to define us, and we act out from it. When someone says, who hurt you? It's evident. Broken people will break people, but the opposite is true. Did you know healthy people will help people? When you have been healed you, you, and you received health, you are now in a position to give that to others. And I'm sure you want to be the kind of person that others desire to come to and seek when they're in trouble and they want, you know, comfort, they want restoration, they want support. And there's certainly those in your family who you love and in your church family and your community perhaps, but you don't, can't give what you don't have. Like you want to be a source of blessing and, and healing someone's life, but you don't have it to give because you have this bitterness and this anger at the root. It looks like this. How many would feel comforted by this next? Well, maybe I not put it in. There should be a picture there. There it is. Let me get that speck out of your eye for you, sir. How would you feel if the doctor came to you and said that? How, how, how security, that's how we sometimes come to people. I have, I want to be seen as a person with advice and wisdom and knowledge and, and I'm here to help you. But all the while, everybody knows they know that no, you, you've got this, you've got a problem. And you're not willing to deal with it. Why would I want to have you come and help me? So this is where we move on to our second point this week. That was last week. Let's dig around the tree. Let's find out why you're wounded. What's happened. And secondly, let's add some fertilizer, the gardener said. In other words, the fruitless tree needs outside help. And so, so do we. The tree can't get better on its own. Neither can we. And fertilizer is always applied from without to bring health within. If something comes from without, it's, it's applied so that health can be established. And there's an important lesson for us, for you and I here in our woundedness. Why do we remain emotionally damaged? Why, why do we look at the roots and see the damage but remain that way? Because often our pride makes it difficult to admit our need for outside help. It's why men don't stop and ask for directions, right? I'm not lost. I, I'm not going to get out and go to the gas station guy and admit that I'm lost and I need help. I'm just driving, having a fun time here. What did that sign say? And so we try to heal our wounds on our own. We tell ourselves, we tell others, I don't need help. I don't need counseling. I can do this on my own. 
I want to tell you, if, if I were to make a list of the top 10 quotes outside the Bible, which really impacted me personally, one from this book called Life's Healing Choices, Freedom from Your Hurts, Hangups, and Habits, would make the list. This is what it says. If you could heal your problems, you would have done so. But since you can't, you won't. In other words, if you could heal yourself, isn't that true? If I could do this on my own, I would have done it by now. But it hasn't happened because I can't. What we need is to bring in outside help to apply some fertilizer to, to the woundedness in our life so we may be restored back to health. But pride will prevent us from pursuing that help. We, we think we can do this on our own, but the Bible says no. In fact, we read this in the book of James. Let's listen to these verses. We know this one. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us the, the importance of and need, the needed ways God uses his people in his church to, to serve us and help us in this broken world. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to what serve one another. That's because we need to be served sometimes. and We need to be a servant. In Hebrews 12.15 it says, look after each other. So that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous, what is it, roots? A bitterness, that's what we're talking about, grows up to trouble you. And what happens, it corrupts many. From just these three verses, we see how healing includes bringing others into our wilderness. We are to confess our sins to each other. We are to pray for each other. We are to serve one another and look after each other. That's the church. What this tells me is, I can't do life on my own. I can't get better on my own. You're not trying to overcome depression on your own. You're not trying to fight that addiction on your own. You're not trying to overcome anger on your own. Instead, you're laying aside this thing called pride, and you open yourself up to those with spiritual gifts, skills, and abilities, and that you trust and is, and is safe, and you let them speak into your life. You let them pour fertilizer on you and say, let's get this thing back to health. I'm here for you. Oh, but we struggle, man, with allowing people to see our wounds. We just want to cover them up again. We don't want people to see the real lust. Why? Because, well, we, I think we have a sense of shame. We, we, we think we should know better and, and be better. And I, I feel the shame before you. And our, my pride gets in the way. And, and I want to hide my pain. I want to hide my wounds. I want to hide my sin. I'm afraid to tell you because if you really know who I am and what I struggle with, you may not like me. You may reject me. You may judge me. You, you might be disappointed, so I'm going to fake it. How are you? Fine. God is good. God is good. It's true. But become this closed system. We let no one in past the facade, and we don't get better. And that would describe a lot of the culture of the church today. What I, what I find ironic is I attended two different churches recently, well, just before the pandemic here in our area, where I find that the attenders being very transparent and very humble, and thus we're receiving help and giving help to others in these two different churches. However, it was not a worship service I was attending. It was an AA service and an NA service. I was going to some people we were, we were ministering to here in the church, and they asked if I'd come. I said, I'd love to. I've never been to one. I came 
to an AA meeting and once later to an NA meeting. What I noticed at these meetings is that no one hid their problems. They, they confessed. The first thing the person did, you probably know, is they say, Hi, I'm Mark, and I'm struggling with alcohol. I'm struggling with narcotics. I'm struggling with... They confess. I have a problem. I'm hurting. I'm missing the mark. I need healing. And no one stood up and went, What? How the hell are you? Because everyone, <laughs> they understood. And they had the same struggle. And they wanted the healing. There was no pretending. I was struck by that. Pride will prevent a church to develop a culture where people feel safe to confess and admit, I need help. I realized this a few years ago, maybe more, maybe a few, maybe five or six years ago. I was attending a zone-wide pastor's meeting for the denomination I was serving. And the church I was passing with at the time offered a course for, for men to talk about and learn about help overcoming addiction to pornography. A real problem for men. If you're a man, you understand this. And most of the men in our church, believe it or not, signed up for this course. It's a multi-week course. Opening up the wounds. Meeting in groups and talking about it. Praying about it. And my district superintendent, who was aware that we were offering this course and how most of the men had signed up for this course, had me just kind of mention this at this, this meeting of all the other pastors in the area. And when the pastors heard this, what happened is the agenda for the meeting had, was set aside because all they wanted to talk about was how. How? How do you get guys to sign up for this thing that we don't want to talk about and pretend it doesn't happen? How do you get them to talk about this and pray about this and meet and talk with others about it? And the meeting was all about that. And I, and I simply told them, and slowly, we do it slowly, step by step, systematically, we develop a culture of confession in our church, which is a church renewal practice. My friend Joel will understand. We didn't begin by diving into the deep end. We, we start with uh, hearing God, which we're, we're doing June, June the 3rd and 4th, because God wants to talk in your life, to speak in your life, and many of us don't know heard about that. I've understood that. I know what to do about that. In the church, we did hearing God seminars because God wants to speak into your woundedness in your life. And then we did something called set free. Oh, I want to do one here this fall. We get churches in person involved. Life-changing. Life-changing. Being set free from these habitual hurts and sins and wounds. And then we did prayer summits where we came together as a church. Believe it or not, this will scare you. For a two-hour prayer meeting. Went like that. Because it was systematically planned out and different ways of praying together in triads with groups by yourself, journaling. And it was just like amazing. I saw healings happen at prayer summits. Hearts that were damaged come restored. One missionary with a brain tumor was expected not to live is still living today, years ago, because we listened, we applied, we confessed, we, we healed, we anointed with oil. And most of the people in that church, Pastor Dave reminded me, is that 82% were in a life group or 80%? About 82, 80% of people were in life groups. That's unheard of in a church. 
Sharing life together, serving life together, confessing to one another, praying for one another, doing what the Bible says. And, and I just said, we, you know, we just started off in the wading pool. We just started in the shallow end. Slowly we took steps and made our way into the deep end. And what you discover in a culture of confession is this. Other people struggle in the same things you struggle with. And we'll say, it's just you, you horrible person. And you confess and you realize, what? I'm not alone in this. And you discover in a conf- culture of confession that other people struggle with the same sort of things. You discover that, that the wounds which, that, 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 that you have in your life begin to lose its power because you've confessed them. The enemy's going, oh, no, they, they, they don't keep a secret anymore. They've, they've let it out. Other people know, and now they're praying for them and helping them. This isn't going to work, at least for the devil, but it'll work for you. And I love this part. They discover there's no shame. No one rejected them because we all struggle. We all want to overcome. And this is important. You will discover when you confess and the secret is out, you think it's a secret, you're able to talk about it with others and seek their help. To give me a point. I, wasn't, I, didn't, I, I thought about a few weeks ago, I confess to you, I struggle with fasting and it shows. I, 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 it's hard for me to go without a day, let alone a meal or two meals, without food. And, and I confess to you that I, str- I struggle with that. And we were going to preach on fasting because fasting is going to be a very important part of our church, I believe, as we move forward with prayer and fasting. And so I said to my friend, Pastor Dave, Dave, you got to preach on this because you, you got this. You rock fasting. I don't. And here's the thing. This is what, this is what I'm going to tell you, that... that um, Having confessed it, having talked about his staff, I had Dave was sitting in my office one day and asked Isabel to come in because Isabel, well, she, she'll always tell you the truth. And I said, Dave, this is what I don't understand. Dave will be the first one to tell you he has a low tolerance for pain. He gets a paper cut, it's 911. 911. And this man who goes to the dentist and winds out of cleaning rocked fasting for a month. He did not eat. For March. I said, Dave, how can that be? Like, talk to me. You know I'm confessing. I struggle with a meal, and you're, you're doing this for a month, and you got this little tolerance of pain. Why? I get the freedom now to talk about it. And he said, well, I'm going to talk about what God did in me. Now I'm encouraged because, you know, I, I feel like I can't do it on my own, but I can't. With God, I is able. Because I know it's an important part of our church. I got to get this. I got to get this. I want to get this. That wouldn't happen if you don't confess. And we've become, conf- we, we are frightened by that word confession, aren't we? Sounds like a legal term. You, you know, you, you go in the judicial system, someone confesses, they end up going to prison. No wonder we fear it. However, it's just the opposite is true in our Christian walk. Confession is the first step to being set free. And the Bible, confession is more of a relational word, not a legal term. Because it involves one another. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. During uh, doing confession with one another, with one another is where the healing begins to play, take place. Because if you could fix these problems on your own, you would have done it by now. How long are you going to go? I got enough willpower. I can do it. I can change. 
whoosh, right back in. If you could do, if you could uh, heal these wounds and problems on your own with outside help, you'd have done it by now, but you can't. So you won't get better. Unless God intervenes, he does that. That's why we're going to pray at the end of the service again that he may, maybe you've gone through some process. Maybe God is ready, and we'll do that right now for his glory. We, we're, we know that. Can I tell you something funny about confession? I find it, maybe it's not funny, but I just find it kind of humorous that we try to hide our wounds, but the people we do life with already know about them. It's difficult to walk around trying to appear whole when you're carrying these broken pieces. And people notice that. I would tell you, most of my confession is done at our church staff meetings because those are the people I live with and day by day. And, and uh, so I will confess to say, this is a shortcoming I have, this is a wound I have, and I've been working on this in my life, and I confess, and they're kind of going, oh, really? We never would have known that. <laughs> they know already. And they haven't quit. You may try to pretend you have no hurts, no wounds, no sins, no struggle, but people already know. Those closest to you know. Jesus taught God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. And so when I decide, no, I want to be a, I want to be a person of, of peace. I want to work for peace because I want God's blessing because I want to be your children. And when people see that peace in you, they're going to seek you out. They're, they're going to come and say, like I did Dave, how? You know, they're, you're going to come to you and say, help. But elsewhere in the Bible, we read about one who struggles with their sinful nature and refuses to do anything about it. And it says this in Galatians 5.20, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. People know, we see it. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. And we think we're hiding this, but it's so obvious to us. Because you can't hide it. And people will tend to avoid you. And the only other people you find that are willing to be around you are people who are just like you who have outbursts of anger and selfish ambition, dissension, division. Because look who you attract. And I'll tell you a lot about who you are sometimes. So don't become a closed-off system. Invite others First and foremost, come Holy Spirit and allow others into your process of growth through confession. The gardener said, let's dig around this tree and discover why. And then he said, secondly, let's add some fertilizer to it. Let's bring in some outside help and apply it to this tree. Why? Because it cannot get better on its own. If it could, it would have done so by now. Needs outside help. And then finally and quickly, let's give it more time was the third thing he said. Healing does not typically, hap- typically happen a day or weekend. It does and it can, and, and we know that. But often it's a process and, it's, and it's, it's us being willing to participate in the process that God gives us. I've never had to take a medication yet where it said, okay, take this pill once and you're fixed. Like take this three times daily after every meal for two weeks. I don't recall going to a physical therapist having to work on my knee just once. Everything was better. I haven't heard of anyone going to counseling or recovery program and coming better after just one visit. It can happen. I just haven't heard about it yet. 
It's a process. It requires time. And it's a process over time which you must participate in. Here's an observation I made. People who participate in the process of healing are more likely to get better than those who don't. Not very deep. And I feel like there's two groups of people when it comes to healing. Those who confess their brokenness and do something about it. And those who confess their brokenness and keep complaining about it. Uh, for example, a couple will come to me and their, their, their marriage is in trouble and, and they talk and they complain. They're troubled. But then they're not willing to take responsibility. And they're not ready to work at saving their marriage. I can't help them. I'm not that good. They got to be willing and wanting to fix this thing. And they have to be transparent. And I'd say, maybe you need to go to professional counsel. I know a perfect spot. And they say, yeah, 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 but nothing happens. They're not going to get better. I know that. Unless God intervenes. And he will, and he does. Somebody says, I'm lonely. Well, tell me about your life group. Well, I don't have a life group. Why don't you have one? Well, I, uh, I'm not very good at fasting. I'm great at being mentored and having a coach. People speak in my life. I have for about 33 years, a lot of those times, had a mentor. Right now, it's uh, Pastor Ray Dirksen. Uh, before that was Kim Ryan. Before that was Kelly. Uh, Carrie, I mean. And so there's people who speak in my life because I know that I can't do this on my own. I know I cannot preserve in the pastorate on my own. And I have been mentored and helped, and now I pass on to others and coach other pastors in the same way because one of the greatest compliments I could get when someone comes to me and says, you know, do you mentor me? Because I see, that, I see that you've gone through all this and, and you still have uh, peace, you're still here and you're still praising God. And I say, I would love to, but just understand it's, a, it's work. It requires time. I, one fellow in one of my mentoring groups, my mentoring group, uh, took this course last year, mentoring him and didn't follow through and had to take it again this year. He's not following through. Great guy, good pastor. I, like, I think he's a good, wonderful guy. Not committed to the work. Because we like the idea, would you mentor me? Then I'll get better. But understand, it's, it takes time. There's work involved. There's homework involved. It's not easy. It's not just like this. So I ask them, are you willing? Uh, there are so many things I believe we offer, try to offer you as a church. This morning at Prayer Start was awesome. You go in there, we pray for you, but you end up being ministered to. Alpha, I mean, we, we're, th- we're there to try to reach people, and yet I find that it's ministering to us as well. That's what happens when you say, I'm willing to serve, and God says, great, and then I'm going to use that and, and, and help you. You ever taught a Sunday school lesson, you learn more from it than the people because you, you just dived into it and God used it to speak to you? Let's dig around the tree. Let's bring in some outside help. And let's commit to the process of time. We know that God has healed, does heal, miraculously, in his time. And I'm trusting that could be today. So if you need healing today, we'll do one more song, as we did the last couple of weeks. I'm going to ask two of our elders, Pete and Sam, to come forward with me. As the Bible says, if you're sick, call for the elders. Be anointed with oil. I have oil here. We want to pray for you because maybe in this process, this is the time of healing.
would never skip that. And on the, uh, on the online people, there's a phone number there, our church phone number, you can text, and you can text that in too as well. We'll be praying for you. You're part of this, this church family, and we want to be praying for you. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and we're going to close the day with a great old hymn talking about wellness in our soul. So, Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, you care for us. To be tough. You've been tough with me, Lord, so many times about areas of my life. I thank you for that because I can't get better on my own. I've needed others. I needed mentors and pastors and friends, and I certainly need you above all, God. And I can't pretend. I can't just hide it away and think I can do this on my own. And I need you. Lord, I need you, we said today. Lord, I just pray that we would get that sense that, God, if we are feeling like I'm not getting better and I'm not going to tell anybody, that, God, you would change that stubborn, prideful heart. That you would make us aware of the need to invite others in, to invite you in, and even into a process, God, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.